in finance, consistency is, is maybe the most crucial habit is, is, you know, the discipline of consistent saving or investment, uh, depending on what you do. It's not just about how much you save or how much you invest. It's about how consistently you do it. You know, you know if you start early and invest regularly, even in small amounts, that can make a pretty significant impact because of concepts like, uh, you know, compound interest. Hey everyone, my name is Ricardo. I am a tech entrepreneur living in Prague, Czech Republic. On this podcast, I would like to share the stories, struggles, insights, and resources of value-driven leaders living in different parts of the world with the idea to inspire you and give you practical tips to move forward with your projects. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, today we're talking with Amit Greenwald. He is a financial advisor uh, working from Spain at the moment. And he is the organizer of the TechX UNIP in the Prague, Czech Republic. And he has been doing a lot of coaching and mentorship sessions as well. So um, we will be talking about personal finances, the TechX and communications skills as well. So welcome, Amit. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Ricardo. I'm excited to have this conversation. <laughs> Good. So, Amit, so you start working into into personal finances uh, for for several years now, or yeah, what is, can you tell me the story behind your your work? Yeah, I mean, my kind of my career has developed pretty organically over the years. Um, just before university and during university, I wasn't really working full time. I just did internships here and there um, from you know marketing to venture capital, just to kind of check what I liked doing, what I was good at, but nothing too serious. These were mainly summer gigs over the summer when I wasn't studying. And then after I finished my bachelor's degree in Prague, I moved to Vienna to do my master's in international management. And while I was there, one of my ex-professors in Prague uh, co-founded a tech startup and was building a team in Prague. So he reached out to me and, and told me that He would like me to come have a conversation with his business partner, who's the CEO of the company. So I hopped on a train, I came to Prague, and we had a conversation. And then I started working there as, as a market analyst, as a part of the, of the very early team. And then pretty quickly grew within the company to eventually become head of accounting and business operations across the company's presence in the US, Europe, and India. So I was doing that for five years. Um, which was a, a great learning experience. Uh, I was involved in work across all the different departments and with people in, in, you know, across three different continents. So I learned so much in that process. And then at the end of 2022, um, I decided to leave that job at the startup for a career that's more freelance based. So I could pursue different projects and something that was also more client facing because I really love working with people, which ultimately led me to my work as a, as a wealth consultant or financial advisor. Um, meanwhile, at the same time, I was, uh, I've been organizing my TEDx event, TEDx Unip in Prague uh, for eight years, which started just as a passion project, but has evolved to be a, a more professional endeavor. And then I also do some consulting projects. Um, I coach on communication and public speaking and contribute to different 
blogs and publications in different areas. So, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of how everything has come to be what it is now in terms of, of what I do. Good. And so how, yeah, you are kind of multifaceted, right? Because you're learning, <laughs> you are um, being part as a financial advisor, but also communications and organizing an event that are kind of different well, are kind of complementary somehow, right? But they are kind of different endeavors, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. I always, when people ask me to introduce myself <laughs> and what I do, even when people just ask me where I'm from, it's a question that I've often found quite difficult to answer because my background is pretty uh, <laughs> complex. But I think, you know, growing up in different places and experiencing different cultures uh, and also working across different fields, I've come to appreciate the beauty of of that multifaceted identity that I, I guess I have. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything is kind of driven by the, by the same thing. You know, my central focus has always been helping people elevate their potential. You know, I'm, I'm really passionate about empowering others and, and fostering transformative change. If you, even though I do a lot of different things, if you look at the titles, whether it's advisor, consultant, coach, mentor, the central focus is always kind of guiding others and helping others and elevating their potential. There's a really good quote by Albert Einstein, who's been one of my, my heroes forever, which is only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. And that's always been a guiding principle in, in, in my life, whether it's professional or, or personal. So, yeah, I mean, I really, I like doing different things. So um, it's very hard for me to say no to different opportunities and projects that, that come my way. Okay, that sounds good. Um, yeah. So, just wondering about yeah all these uh, different areas and topics. So, do you have any system in place or ways that you manage your days? So, how does it work right now uh, <laughs> towards that organization? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It can be it can be difficult, and it, you know, days can be very long. Uh, I'm a big fan of time blocking. Uh, I've been doing that a lot in the last year or so. Um, this is where you like block, uh, times in your calendar for, for different things and, and plan that in advance. I kind of have to do that because I tend to have so many different things and projects going on at, at any one point. So every Sunday, um, before the start of the week, I, in the evening, I sit down and I allocate blocks in my calendar for different tasks. So, you know, from eight to, nine in the morning on a Tuesday, I'll engage in LinkedIn. Then from nine to 10, I'll just do some admin stuff. Um, and then just depending on what's going on, I'll just plan my week uh, that way. And that kind of allows me to plan my productivity so that my mind is not all over the place um, in terms of what I need to do. Okay. And are you doing that kind of like project based or a specific type? task space wondering like let's say imagine you have a tech x block or then you have finances advisory block or yeah or is based as you mentioned only task based um it's yeah it, it's more project based unless there's something uh really specific so you know i'm currently drafting an article for a training magazine who have asked me to contribute to their um april issue so i have to submit that by the end of january um so i have time in my calendar for, you know, first draft of article for training magazine. Or if I know that I have to write a blog um, in two weeks, then I'll put maybe 
you know, an hour this week to work on the first draft and then take some time to reflect and, and think about it. And then the next week I'll sit down again and do that. So it's, it's, yeah, mainly project based. And then with, uh, work that's, that's more broad with financial advisory, for example, things can kind of change and there, there may be th- different admin things that I need to work on. So I'll just put like two hours to catch up on admin work. Um, for my financial advisory job. So it just depends on, on what's what's going on, really. Okay. Um, now, if we go towards the financial advisor part for first, so yeah, can you mention if you have any specific belief that maybe are kind of contrarian compared to what m- most people believe on personal finances? Um, well, I think... <sighs> I think there's a lot of myths about personal finance that, mm-hmm. that I've encountered. And I had the same, I had the same thoughts before, before I kind of did work in the space. Um, you know, one common one that I get, I got this yesterday when I had a call with, with a prospect is, uh, I don't have enough money to invest or I need to wait until I have more money to invest, which doesn't really make much sense. It's like uh, waiting to be in perfect shape to start going to the gym. You know, you have, you have to start somewhere um, and you don't have to be a millionaire to start investing. Small, consistent contributions can have a, a pretty significant impact over time. The key is really starting early, even if it's small. If you look at Warren Buffett, who's arguably the best investor of our time, about 99, I think that's the right statistic, about 99% of his wealth was created after his 50th birthday. So that just illustrates the the importance of of starting early. Another one that I think is pretty interesting to think about, which is a little more complicated, is that all debt is bad. Now, I used to work in accounting, so I, I, I have an understanding how, of debt being used as a tool, as, as it is in business, and not all debt is, is created equal. In personal finance, it's more complicated because it requires a level of discipline and responsibility that some people just might not have. And while reckless borrowing can be detrimental um, to your personal finances, if you use credit and debt in a strategic and responsible way, it can be a really powerful tool. Mortgage is, is a great example. Um, people don't really think of it as debt, but but it is. Uh, but if it involves appreciating assets and acts as a for savings and, and offer tax advantages and, and leverages in real estate, then that's, that can be a, a good form of debt. So the key is really to use, use that as a tool to enhance your financial position rather than, than hinder it. And there can be a fine line when you're using it on a personal basis. Um, so you just have to, you know, manage it wisely, avoid excessive debt ac- accumulation and payoff balances uh, before any significant interest charges are being accrued. So responsible use of debt can be, can be really, uh, powerful but it's it's a little tricky with with personal finances because you have to be responsible which a lot of people just don't like being <laughs> okay yeah it's a huge level of commitment yeah. to, to achieve that um yeah talking on these specific items of myth um do you because oh, I think it's kind of related. I assume that you have some key values or non-negotiables that you try to follow for yourself and also for other people that you are advising. Do you have any 
guidance principles for you that are you kind of try to remember in weekly basis or daily yeah basis i I, I was recently reflecting that i i recently um completed a course in in connected leadership um from uh, the yale school of management and part of it was kind of reflecting on your on your personal values that are applicable in your both your personal and professional life because they don't necessarily have to be separate um and the three that i came up uh with me, I mean, I like alliteration because it always makes things memorable. Our connection, community, and continuous learning. I think building genuine connections uh, is is at the forefront of my approach in most things in life, be it personal or professional. In finance, specifically, understanding a client's story, their aspirations, their fears is key, and that connection goes beyond just numbers. It's about building a trusted partnership where the client feels heard and where I can really give recommendations that are relevant to their individual journeys because each each client's position and circumstances are different. So these values of connection and integrity uh, you know, help guide me in building trust with clients and ensuring that they feel confident and informed at every step. Um, in terms of community, you know, my business is not or my work is not just about individual success it's about contributing to the broader community that's particularly relevant when it comes to tedx for example but but also in everything that i do i really believe in the power of knowledge to transform lives um so i'm committed to sharing that knowledge the knowledge that i have but also getting knowledge from other people um to empower the community that's why i love writing articles whether it's on my own page or for different blogs and publications uh giving seminars or just just having conversations with people um, and that kind of leads into continuous learning um, in, you know, finance is a, is a very dynamic field. If you think about like the topic of cryptocurrencies, for example, you know, it evolves every day. There's something different. So I always strive to stay as up to date as I can with market trends and global shifts so that I can, you know, ensure my clients and, and my community benefit from the most current insights. And if someone asks me something that I don't know anything about or I don't know enough about, then I'll go away and look it up and learn about it and then share my learning, share my learning with them or, or with other people. Um, but I mean, I, I'm kind of a nerd, you know, I love, I love learning. So this isn't really a hardship. <laughs> this really isn't a hardship for me. Um, but yeah, I would say connection, community and, and continuous learning are three values that kind of guide me in, in most things uh, professionally and, and personally as well. Okay. Um, on this process of helping people and maybe of course we can go to the finance part but also we can talk about the communication part as well um yeah how do you help them towards defining goals and mindset that they need to do because mindset changes more or less right so um do you have any specific framework for that that maybe you can explain us or yeah or way to uh, to more than we are in January 2024, right? So it's like people, well, in theory, already did it in December. But <laughs> let's say now someone is doing goal settings or how to achieve their goals and stuff like that. If you have any frameworks, feel free to share. It. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a, that's a really good question and very relevant for January. I mean, I always make uh, resolutions at, at the beginning of the year because I just think it's nice to have something that mm. guides you uh, throughout the year. Um, I think the first step is really to have a deep understanding of what 
you value and aspire to achieve. Um, with finance, I like to go for a more value-driven approach because that's what really drives people in their decisions. Whether it's planning for retirement, if you're at that age, or securing your children's education, if that's what you know you're currently care, care about, or just building wealth, um, saving for a house, you know, it's about empathy first. So you know you have to start by listening, um, so you understand their situation, their their goals, their dreams, their fears, and their circumstances. You know their level of job security, their income stability. All those considerations form. Um, someone's goals and in finance risk tolerance is something that's very important as well. Um, for example, if you work for your parents' uh, corporation and you don't have kids, you can probably afford to take more risk than someone who has a family of five to feed. Um, you know, you have a higher level of job security. It's not likely that you're going to lose your job if it's, a, if it's a family company and you don't have anyone who's financially respond, uh, dependent on you. So that's, that's part of, you know, risk tolerance is a big part of assessing, uh, or, you know, defining and evaluating your, your financial goals. Once you understand the kind of overarching aspirations, I focus on educating them on various financial concepts and options, depending on their level of knowledge. Um, this could include discussing, uh, different investment vehicles, saving strategies, uh, the power of compound interest, which is like one of the big concepts in, in finance, you know, the aim is really to empower them with, with knowledge so that they can make informed decisions. At the end of the day, it's, it's their money. So they need to make decisions that are true to their situation and, and their values. Um, so my part in education, the, educating them is just to give them all the knowledge and all the context they have so that they can, you know, define goals that are really relevant okay and how do you play towards the the creation of the habit to to then to actually achieve the goals because okay one first step maybe of course is to define the goals and that are aligned to their values and their belief and their risk tolerance right i think that's step number yeah. one i assume right and then But then what happens after January pass and maybe the hype is gone <laughs> of the new year. So, yeah, that's something that maybe, of course, we all struggle, right? Yeah. Like, how do we keep the momentum? Yeah, it's like if you go to the gym, January is like the worst because it's full of people. And then as soon as February 1st hits, it's, you know, you have the whole gym to yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, ha habits habits are so important uh, in, in everything. And like in finance, consistency is is maybe the most crucial habit is is you know the discipline of consistent saving or investment uh, depending on what you do it's not just about how much you save or how much you invest it's about how consistently you do it you know you know if you start early and invest regularly even in small amounts that can make a pretty significant impact because of concepts like uh, you know compound interest which is a, which is a really powerful concept so you know consistency is is really important so you just kind of check in on them. Um, maybe it's best to automate their savings or investments because then, then you remove emotion out of the equation. If it's just happens automatically at the beginning of every month, you send this amount of money to this, this savings plan or, or investment platform. Um, another habit in personal finance is living 
within your means. I think this can be very difficult for a lot of people, especially younger people who are just kind of starting to make decent money if they have their first promotion is inflating, inflating their lifestyle. I think, you know, building a habit of developing a budget and sticking to it and understanding your income and expenses and defining them will kind of help you ensure that you're not consistently overspending. Of course, you know, if you work hard, you want to enjoy the money that you're making, but it's, it's, you know, it's all about finding a balance and making informed, informed decision. Uh, personal finance is very often about sacrifices. So deciding what sacrifices you're willing to make will determine, uh, you know, your, your journey towards whatever financial goals you're trying to achieve. And then having a long-term perspective is also, and patience is also really essential, um, especially with investing, because, you know, the markets move up and down every day. Um, in the short run, it can be quite a roller coaster. But if you look at, if you look at it in the long term, you know, markets grow, you know, they go up. So if you have a longer term vision and perspective, and you really embrace that, then you're not going to be swayed by short-term market fluctuations or life events that can kind of throw throw you off course so that kind of helps you be consistent as well okay um yeah do you follow because any specific way to recommend the step-by-step -step process to it so let's say today i i want to start investing right and then and i am starting from zero right so Um, do you have any steps to follow towards my goal? Because maybe my goal is too ambitious. So how can I divide that into milestones that we can kind of go step by step? And just, sorry, I will just mention, I'm just comparing this. For example, I know about, for example, Dave Ramsey, right? He have this complete step-by-step -step process, for example. That, but he's in the spectrum that, zero debt right or zero credit card debt or as much as possible right or and of course there is other ad advisors that they are in another level and more risky so yeah how to balance these two words maybe or to to arrive to the level of yeah how to balance these two words and that there is a step-by-step -step milestones to achieve for example financial independence in certain level yeah i mean i think For me, I think the the first thing, this is kind of the strategy that I follow and that I normally recommend. Of course, before I give any sort of financial advice, I have to say that, you know, it, it's not going to apply to anyone the same way. But generally speaking, I think, mm -hmm. I think people should keep it simple. You know, one of my core beliefs in investment is, is the power of, of simplicity. Complex strategies can, can often bring unnecessary risk and confusion. So I, I tend to advocate for more straightforward approaches that clients can understand and, and manage. It not only makes financial planning more accessible, but it also helps maintain a clear focus. Um, in line with that approach, my kind of personal and, and normally recommended strategy typically includes a blend of, you know, if we're getting practical of, of growth funds, index trackers, and maybe some structured products as well. You know, growth funds can offer the potential for higher returns than, than the market by investing in companies or industries with a stronger growth prospect. For example, right now, tech and AI is, is a big one. Um, then index trackers. So these are just uh, funds or ETFs that, that track indices like the S&P 500. They provide a more broad market exposure. Um, 
which you can is a, a bit more reliant. Uh, so that ensures that you have a stake in, in the overall market performance um, and typically offers lower costs as well. And then structured products, which I really like, offer the you know the benefit of defined returns based on defined conditions. And it, it normally comes with some sort of um, downside risk protection. So this kind of combination of, of three things generally, I think, gives a pretty good balance. And then, of course, you know, the three biggest tips for investing is diversify, diversify, diversify. So diversification is, you know, a central concept in, in any investment philosophy, which is the, you know, it's the classic strategy of not putting all your eggs in, in one basket. It applies in, in different things. But yeah, so, so while that kind of combination and approach works well for me and has worked well for, for my clients, it's, it's about tailoring your approach to your situation or your different client situation, different factors like risk tolerance, financial goals, investment timelines, um, are crucial in, in determining the right mix, uh, for, for different people. So yeah, but, but that's basically the framework. I keep it pretty simple. You know, don't try to fix something that's that's not broken um i think people can be swayed by seeing things that sound too good to be true but i think a lot of things that sound too good to be true are sounding too good to be true because they are too good to be true so i tend to kind of keep it simple with my my approach okay um, we have been uh, mentioning, uh, of course, compound interest a lot into this conversation. Yeah. So maybe we should have the time to to mention, yeah, what does it mean, compound interest, or how would you explain it uh, for for babies or <laughs> simple ways to explain it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, co- compound interest is is maybe the most powerful concept in finance. Uh, you know, Albert Einstein uh, called it the eighth wonder of the world, and and he did that for a reason. You know, he's a smart guy. Uh, in very simple terms, compound interest is interest on interest. So it's where an, in, an interest you earn on an investment also earns interest over time. So, you know, let's say you invest a hundred dollars with an annual interest of 10%. In the first year, you're going to earn $10 interest. So you now have $110. In the second year, you earn interest not only on the initial 100, but also on the additional $10. So now you have $110 that's earning 10% interest and so on and so on. So this process continues each year with the interest uh, amount growing each time because the, the base gets larger. So your original investment plus any accumulated interest over time. So that's what makes compound interest so powerful is that it over time, the interest you earn grows exponentially rather than on a linear basis, which allows your initial investment to grow at an increasing rate, which is another reason why starting early is so important. And, you know, I mentioned how 99% of Warren Buffett's fortune was made after, after he turned 50 and compound interest is exactly why, why that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not sure about the specific age when he started, but I think it was in the early teenagers ages or something like that or even before yeah again i mean i mentioned having a long-term perspective and and patience and this is part of why because it's just it's gonna it's gonna get better and grow exponentially um so if you kind of stay consistent in the first few years you might not see the results that you wish for um but if you just stay the course you know 
it, it it will it will happen if you make wise decisions and again keep it simple and not take unnecessary risks um then compound interest is going to is going to be on your side mm. yeah and i just assume that uh, of course in finance is not of course compound interest is important diversification is important but I assume that that needs to be complementary as well with, of course, growing personally and professionally so that you can increase your income and then increase the contributions to your investments as well, right? So um, maybe this is um, a good way to transition to the other topics that one of them that you also coach is communication. So um Is this something that you have tried to unify with your when you are advising? Because maybe the people who you are advising about personal finances, maybe they can increase their salary or increase their their work uh, because of improving their communications skills or or this or leadership or yeah. Is this something you are thinking through? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily. It doesn't necessarily intersect. It might. It might in the future, but it. it it's not right now i mean it's just you know communication is something that i've become passionate about through my work with uh you know with with tedx and just something that that i love doing and i've seen how powerful effective communication can be um but you know it, there's there's a lot of things and concepts that kind of intersect be between the two you know working you know as an advisor financial advisor i also consider myself a financial coach um and there might be different things you know it can be challenging investments can go up and they can and they will in inevitably go down sometimes so you have and people don't like seeing their investments go down so if they don't consider themselves invest investors or don't have the right investor mindset you know uh maybe my kind of background in coaching can help uh coach them through you know doing some mindset shifts or, or anything to kind of help them help them stay the course and, and, you know, understand the, the big, the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, if it's maybe also closing the account and don't see it when it's down or, or seeing too much as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, That's something that maybe people is scared, right? Watching the reg numbers, right? So, but then yeah, you need to take it in the long term, as you're mentioning. Um, since we we kind of start talking about communication, so maybe we can transition into that into the TEDx part as well. So, yeah, what is the story behind the TEDx Unip? Uh, can you tell us a bit how this idea come into realization? Yeah, I mean TEDx Unip, uh, it's You know, I oh, oh, like oh, almost get emotional every time I talk about it, even after eight years, because it's just like the most incredible thing that's that's happened in my life. I think a lot of times, you know, so many dreams can fall short of expectations, uh, but TEDx Unit for me is is the exact opposite of that. It's almost like a dream I I never knew or thought that I had. Um, it started so yeah, the way it started, I was a uh, when I was a student in my last year um, at my bachelor's university in Prague. I was president of the student council. So I had pretty good relations with the, with the administration, um, of the university. And the idea came about of, of 
amongst the students um, and the student council of starting a TEDx event uh, for the university. So this was meant to be just a university event. So I went up to the administration. I called a meeting with the general manager and the, the marketing director uh, who was new at the time, Mark, who's my co-organizer in, in TEDx Unip. And I pitched the idea of starting a TEDx series at the university. And it was a pretty easy sell because it wasn't meant to be so big. Uh, we started for the first few years, it was just held at the auditorium at the university. We could barely fit 80 people in it. It was mainly focused on the university community. And then we just got so much interest and it naturally grew over the years. And now it's, it's one of the biggest events of its kind in, in the Czech Republic and maybe even Central Europe. Um, you were there at, at our last event. So, you know, so you know what it is. But, you know, now we hold it in an arena. We have 600, you know, a sold out crowd of 600 people. We have speakers flying from all over the world. We're like just at the top of their fields. So it's just been, it's just been an incredible journey. And, and it's, it's weird for me to even think about what it's become. And that's something that I, I started with help from a lot of other people, of course, um, has managed to kind of become what it is but you know the the vision and mission for it stays the same it's just on a much bigger scale now okay sounds good so and do you have any specific future goals you are already starting to work into this year 10x or yeah how does it look for the future yeah i mean for for me tedx unip is all about impact our vision um for TEDx Unip is to continually expand and deepen our impact. Um, looking ahead, I hope we continue to curate a broad range of uh, thought-provoking speakers who bring unique perspectives and transformative ideas. Our goal is is really to make it a platform for innovative innovative thinking and curiosity, where speakers and attendees from different backgrounds and disciplines can come together and spark conversations that that matter. The interdisciplinary nature of TEDx is something that I love so much. We talked at the very beginning about how I, you know, my background, my work, my, even my personal life is, is very multifaceted. So I love that about TEDx. It's just about sparking conversations that matter regardless of the field or, or subject. We're also focusing on expanding, you know, community engagement, creating a more interactive and collaborative experience for our audience as the host of the event. That's something that's very important to me and you were there. So I hope that's, that came across in, in our last event. Um, but, you know, above all, we're just committed to being a platform that not only reflects, but also really drives positive change in, in the community and encourages individuals to contribute their voice and their action towards a more inspiring future. And I, you know, I, even now, you know, it's been how many months has it been since our last event, three, four months. And I still get messages from people who were there about how much it's impacted their lives and how they've, you know, changed their life drastically and are now like healthier, happier uh, versions of themselves. And that's just, you know, it's, it's mind blowing to me that I have any, any small part to do with, with, you know, impacting people's lives like that. Good. So you're planning to, to keep it going with impact as a focus, as you're mentioning. And, and of course, that more, more, more of these stories repeat after the event. Yeah. I mean, if they let me do it, I'll do it, you know, until I'm, I'm in the grave. <laughs> I, I love, I love doing it so much. <laughs> my, my main work is, is with 
coaching the speakers and working on the speaker experience and, and hosting the event. And I just love that line of work because I get to work with the most incredible people from all different backgrounds and disciplines. I've, I've worked with some of my personal heroes, people I've looked up to and have been a fan of for years. And, um, you know, we've become friends through the experience. So it's just, it's been the most incredible platform, not only for the, for the audience and for ideas, but also for, you know, making connections and, and friendships. So it's, yeah, it's, it's the best. <laughs> mm, good. And if you reflect into the previous events, so do you have some kind of valuable lessons that you believe are, you are trying to apply in your daily life now, or apart from, of course, the great memories of friendship and work with, with your team, of course, but that is something that you believe, okay, yeah, I incorporated this in my life. It has been a nice lesson from this. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, I was a kid when I started TEDx. This, it, it was before I even had any real job. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think I knew anything, uh, back then. So to, and now I'm, you know, coaching, uh, you know, business leaders on communication and all that, you know, so it's been an incredible journey of, of growth and learning. For me, you know, one valuable lesson is that, you know, we all have a story to tell and sometimes we don't even know it. Um, and, you know, the art of storytelling is so important in communicating ideas. The best TEDx speakers always use stories to connect with the audience and to make complex ideas, uh, you know, simple and accessible and engaging. So it's shown me the, the value of, of narrative and communication and storytelling, whether it's a presentation, a business meeting, a casual conversation, the way you tell your story matters and you always have a story to tell. This is something we work on with speakers all the time, you know, finding, finding their story. They have it, but they might just not know what it is. Um, so that's, that's very rewarding work. So I think like the power of communication and different aspects of it, like storytelling is, is the main lesson that I learned from working with the different speakers and then just the importance of, of, you know, connection and, and the value of community as well. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, yeah. On, on this topic of storytelling. So do you have any tips towards, towards what to do to incorporate storytelling in, in the working environment, not only on a presentation, but, Imagine you need to communicate and express uh, something to, to your coworker mm -hmm. or try to convince them to, to act in certain area or, yeah. So how do you have any tips or recommendations or even resources where people can go into this direction to try to incorporate these more into their lives? Yeah, definitely. I mean, storytelling, as I said, it's, it's, it's so important. You know, we've been telling stories for way longer than we've been reading and writing, you know, so we're wired to respond positively to them. As children, we're, we're being read fairy tales and stories. Um, and it doesn't have to stay in our childhood. I think it's storytelling is a really powerful tool in business as well. As a business, you have clients and these clients are most likely human beings. <laughs> so Storytelling allows you to, mm. you know, humanize your message and make it more relatable and to incorporate storytelling in, in business meetings or work related activities. I think the first step is really understanding your audience, which is my number one tip for anything to do with communication is understanding your audience and then identifying a relevant story that connects them with your message. This could be a personal experience, a case study, um, an analogy, 
but you know, focus on the why behind your story and why it matters to your audience. And I think all great stories are anchored in something. So be, you know, be specific, add some visual elements, you know, don't just say I met with someone a few weeks ago, say, you know, last Tuesday, I met with this lady who came in wearing a red scarf, and then immediately, you're going to remember that more often. Now, I personally don't consider myself a super creative person. I'm pretty structured and logical. I think my sister stole all the creative genes in our family. Um, she's a bit of an artist. So templates and frameworks have been really useful to me. Now, going back to fairy tales, which is kind of like the first framework of a story that anyone has ever told as a kid, fairy tales are maybe the ultimate storytelling medium. And they kind of, all, all the good ones follow a, a five-point template. They all start with once upon a time. And then, you know, second is they used to do this. Number three is then something changed. Four is, so they did this. And then the fifth one is as a result, they did that. So it's once upon a time, they used to do this. One day something changed. So they did this. And as a result, they did that. Um, now you can use that framework to tell any story and it doesn't have to be once upon a time, you know, one of my favorite stories, you know, I got my pilot's license a few years ago, just as, as a hobby. This is like a different thing to talk about. Um, so I really love the story about the invention of the, the touchscreen. So if I would be to follow that framework again, so it's once upon a time, they used to do this one day, something changed, then they did this as a result, they did that. So to tell that story, you could say, you know, in the early days of computing in the late 1960s, that's your once upon a time. Computers were bulky and operated only by keyboards. They used to be less user-friendly and that was limiting their accessibility and usage. One day, um, I think his name was Dr. Johnson, envisioned a more direct way to interact with computers. So he developed the first touchscreen technology for air traffic control, um, envisioning a more direct way to, to interact with technology. As a result, this technology gradually evolved over time, and now it's become integral to modern devices and completely transformed how we interact with technology in our daily lives. So I just told the story using that same fairy tale framework. Now, I now live in Marbella in the south of Spain, which, you know, the biggest industry here is probably real estate. So I've recently started working on communication with some real estate, um, real estate agents. Now, if you have a client that comes here from abroad, let's say from Sweden, that's a big group uh, that comes here to invest. And, you know, they come here, they're thinking about potentially investing in property here. You know, you could just tell them the statistics of being, you know, this is how much people have invested in property in Marbella in the last year. This is what their return has been. You know, do you want to invest? But that, you know, numbers aren't really as effective as a story. So maybe you'll tell the the story of of how Marbella has become what it is now. So you, you could start again with once upon a time, you know, once upon a time, I don't know when that was exactly. So I'll just say once upon a time, but you could be more specific. <laughs> once upon a time, Marbella was just a quiet fishing village, largely unnoticed. They used to say it was just another sleepy town along the Spanish coast, um, charming, but unremarkable. Then in the mid 20th century, uh, visionary developers saw the potential and transformed Marbella into a luxurious oasis attracting international attention. So this once humble village uh, has blossomed into a hotspot for luxury investment and, and living. 
As a result, Marbella now stands out as a testament to savvy investment. It's not just purchase of property. It's about investment in a lifestyle desired by many and attained by few. Here, your investment is more than just a home. It's a stake in one of Europe's most exclusive and thriving real estate markets. By telling a story, you're able to really like make that potential client see himself or herself as part of some, something greater than just what everyone else is doing. You know, it's an exclusive opportunity in investing in a place that has grown over time. And so, you know, so, you know, telling stories is, is just, just so, so much better in, in connecting with people. And when you establish a connection with someone, they're going to trust you more. So there's definitely a place for storytelling in, in business. And the best business stories are the ones that evoke emotions and create a connection. Um, you know, it's not just about telling, it's about engaging and inspiring your audience to see things from a new perspective. And there's, you know, many different tips and tricks that you can follow in different frameworks that, that kind of will help you apply that in, in different, different aspects of your life, depending, regardless of what you do, you know, it could be applied in almost any industry. Good. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all the, this framework, which is quite important for people to, to, to remember, which we kind of see it in, as you mentioned, in every movie or, or every story that we can watch. And that's why we love watching um, movies. You know, it's, it's because of the stories. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, well, actually, yeah, because you, once you know this pattern, then later you try, you find it in the movies and then you always see it. Okay. Let's say. Yeah. And it, it just makes, you know, a lot of people are kind of scared to speak on the spot or being put on the spot. So if you have someone who can train you and coach you into having these frameworks in your head, and these are kind of just templates that you can fill out, then it just makes it, it makes it easier. It, it makes you less anxious and, and, and just more effective in the way you communicate to people. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. So you have mentioned anxiety now. So do you have any tips apart from, of course, using a framework like this one of storytelling into how to approach communication and how to reduce uh, anxiety? Because maybe people is too afraid to speak because they are afraid of how people will react or stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, anxiety is a big, is a big thing. And it's something I love talking about because I've seen uh, how different strategies can really transform the way people look at it. I think the first, the first step always is to acknowledge, acknowledge the anxiety. It's okay. It's actually a sign that you care. So you should be almost happy that you're anxious about whatever it is that you're, you're about to communicate. I think when you understand and name what it is that you're feeling, you kind of remove remove its power. So I think the first step is just to embrace the discomfort and that should already relieve your sense of anxiety to some, some level. Another kind of obvious one is preparing. You know, we've all heard it. If you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Being thoroughly prepared um, not only boosts your confidence, but also gives you a safety net to fall back on because you really understand the topic inside out. If it's a scripted talk, then you own the script. You don't just remember it. And, you know, you've practiced it multiple times until you, you really, really know it inside out. And then another thing that I love working on is mindset, mindset shifts. I think that really helps with, with anxiety. Um, there are three main ones. Uh, the first one is reframing public speaking from a chore or, you know, something that you have to do into an opportunity. I recently worked with a, a young female business leader 
um, who's, you know, suffers from public speaking anxiety. And she, she told me that, you know, in her job, a lot of times she negotiates her way out of public speaking opportunities that are being offered to her because she's so nervous and anxious about it. But when she presents to her team where she feels comfortable, she establishes amazing connections um, and really inspires people. So, you know, if you think about if she stopped negotiating her way out of all these speaking engagements that are being offered to her and sees them as an opportunity, then imagine how many more people she can connect with, how many more people she can inspire, and that could kind of motivate you to to get out of it. Um, Another one, which is something I say to all of our TEDx speakers, is to look at it less as a speech and more as a conversation. If you reframe that mindset, I think that shift in perspective can significantly reduce pressure and make the experience more enjoyable. I think, you know, a great TEDx talk should be just as powerful if you say it to a stranger sitting next to you at a dinner party um, as it would be on a stage in front of 600 people. So if you can think about, you know, you're just there. I always say that to, to the speakers we have, you know, you're there to have a conversation. I know you're on a stage and there's 600 people in the audience and lights and cameras on you, but it's just a conversation. So, you know, don't be, don't be so, so anxious about it. And then the last one, which I really love because there's some science behind it. And I'm a bit of a geek um, when it comes to science is reframing anxiety into excitement. When you think about the, the physiological symptoms of anxiety, you know, sweaty hands, weak knees, racing heart rate. These are all the same symptoms of excitement. So it, it just, it can all just come down to how you frame those sensations in your mind. If you shift your perspective from anxiety to excitement, that can really be transformative. I used to be really anxious about public speaking and now I crave it. You know, now I'm, I'm super excited to get on stage, but I still feel the exact same things that I felt when I was anxious about it. So I think I think that shift can really empower people to to overcome public speaking anxiety, um, whether they're on a TEDx stage, uh, at a business conference, or just leading a client meeting on Zoom. So I think different mindset shifts can be can be really powerful. And then once you kind of go through it a few times, you just kind of get used to it. Like I said, I used to be really anxious about public speaking, and now now I love it. I'm always excited when opportunities come my way, but I still feel the same sensations and I allow I allow myself to feel that because again it means it means that I that I care about about what I'm doing. So you know acknowledge that. Yeah it's important to acknowledge that of course as you're saying, right? So that's the first step. <laughs> and then everything will be better after that. Good. Um yeah maybe we have been talking about about a lot on talking, right? And public speaking. Are these tips also apply for written communication because it's something that that we do a lot nowadays, right? So, do you have how do you iterate these concepts from convert speaking or in a talking to a written way? Is there any specific tips for written way or yeah? Yeah, I think I think most of it follows the same thing. You know, a great structure for communication it's a three-point structure and it's it's you know mm. uh what so what then what you know those three questions ask yourself so the what is you know what what is it that you're trying to communicate so what is you know why should people care about it go into more detail about it 
And then what is, you know, what, what action do you want the person you're communicating to take at the end of your, as a result of your communication? So it's what, so what, then what? And that applies if you're talking verbally to someone, it applies the same way. And if you're writing an email, then you could apply it in, in the same way as well. So, you know, the what could be the, the subject line of the email. So what is it that the email is about? Then when you write the email, go into the so what, you know, why are you writing the email? Why is it important? Get into the details. And then most communication ends with or should end with some sort of call to action, whether you want someone to do a certain things, follow up, send you a, a presentation, you know, do anything. So if you, it's, it's the same thing. And then the, the important aspect of connection and being genuine and authentic, uh, applies the same way. I personally hate when, you know, you meet, when you work with people and have a conversation with someone, it's not always super formal. But then for some reason, when you write an email, all of a sudden it's dear Mr. Grinfold instead of hi Amit. Um, I don't do that. I don't write dear Mr. or Mrs. Someone unless I really have to, because it's just not, it's, it's not real and it's not how we normally communicate. Uh, you know, people like dealing with people, I think. So if you're authentic, then you can connect and, and build trust. So I think your tone can be the same, whether you're writing something down or saying it out loud in a speech. And, and, you know, there's, there's a place and a time for, for different tones. You know, if you're writing an article, it, there's going to be a bit, it's going to be a little different in written form than if you were to give a speech. But generally speaking, I don't think there should be such a clear differentiation between verbal communication and written communication. You can generally follow the same frameworks and structure and tone and, and language. And I think it can be just as effective. Okay. And what does it mean for you to be authentic apart from not using this formality, maybe when you don't really need it? So is there any tips into this? Like, um, yeah, can you mention what does it mean authenticity for you? And maybe what, what specifically would you suggest for people to, to be more authentic and not trying to be someone else? Maybe. Yeah, I think always try and define and reflect and evaluate on the value that you have to bring to whatever mm -hmm. project or conversation or, you know, any, any venture that you're in, you know, what is the value? Why are you there? You know, you're there for a reason and you have something unique to bring. So do that and, you know, understand the audience, tailor your communication, tailor your approach to what, what is relevant for whatever audience you're dealing with, but still do it in, in the way that you would do it because you're, you know, you're there for a reason, you know, you were hired for that job. Um, for a reason it's it's because of of you and what you can bring to the table and that can evolve so like keep evaluating that keep thinking about what your purpose is what your value is and that's it's going to help you know with i think we're all we're all of service in in some way uh whether you're you know for example a software developer might not be traditionally seen as being in a service role but they are serving by creating solutions that make life or work more efficient. A manufacturing company, um, while it's pro like more product focused, it still serves by producing quality goods that meet specific consumer needs. 
So they have an audience and they're serving them in, in whatever way they're doing it. So, you know, I think approaching that kind of service oriented mindset and, and evaluating what your purpose is and what your value is, is going to allow you to be more authentic in the way you engage with people, in the way you do work. And it's just more fun that way. You know, it's, 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 it's just better to do it the way that you know how to do it. And, you know, no one else is like you. So embrace that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an important message as well about, yeah, that more or less, well, we are, of course, are unique. So it's maybe, yeah, how to integrate that in your everyday communication, as you're mentioning, right? Uh, do you have any specific tips towards that? Towards, yeah, yeah, let's say today we, you are coaching me and <laughs> and I'm going, I want to start incorporating my my values more into my emails into my talks and so on so what is this first step that someone needs to do is an exercise to write down the values and unique characteristics of myself or or someone else right or yeah what is this a starting point yes yeah, like think about what drives you are you are you going from a place of of your values and then at what you know what are your values and what are the values of whatever company, whatever client it is that you're working with and where, where do they meet? You know, what's the intersection? What are your shared values, your shared experiences? Because that's, you know, those shared experiences are what's going to allow you to connect. And the more open you are to connection and interaction and, and engaging with people, the more you'll realize that, you know, even though we're unique, we're less unique than we think. Um, and, we have so many shared experiences as long as you can be authentic and honest about it. And when you connect with people, they, they trust you more. And when you establish trust, you can kind of build more meaningful success, not just success because you followed steps A, B, and C. It's success that really resonates with what you care about, what the, what the, your audience cares about. So I think, you know, being more value driven, more purpose driven, um, and more authentic in in any engagement or any interaction is just gonna you know allow you to live a more fulfilled life both personally and professionally because it doesn't have to be one or the other it could be in both yeah of course um yeah so do you have any specific um podcasts or tools or or areas where you like to read as well or, or media right um that maybe you can recommend uh, it, it can be in the different topics of personal finances or communication as well or tedx as yeah well. <laughs> um, in terms of podcasts one of my favorites and, and i think it's like the, one of the top performing podcasts in the world is on purpose with jay shetty um i started listening to it mm -hmm. at the beginning of last year um when i was kind of switching my career so i was in a like pretty big transition in life. I moved to a new country. I was looking for, you know, starting to starting a new career. Um, and I wanted to, you know, lead with purpose. So I started listening to On Purpose with Jay Shetty, which I think is a, is a great podcast. It touches on a lot of different subjects. It's, it's not about anything specific. So you can just pick and choose depending on what it is that you're, that you're looking for and that you want to delve into different aspects in your life. Um, it also includes communication. So that can be really great. Um, 
I think he's also a great example of a communicator. He's a great listener and being a great listener is such an important part of being a communicator. Um, and he has some really incredible guests. Um, in one that I've started listening to recently, which I think is really good. This is communication focused is, uh, it's called think fast, talk smart. I don't remember who the, the host is. Mm-hmm. I just started listening to this uh, last week and I was listening to it the whole weekend. And that provides really practical, actionable advice on communication strategies in, in a variety of contexts. So that's been a personal favorite of mine recently. Um, then, uh, you know, I, I really, I'm really passionate about, uh, fitness and, and I'm a bit of a science geek, as I mentioned. So I really like the Huberman Lab, um, podcast as well. There's some really interesting episodes in that. But yeah, I've really learned to embrace, uh, podcasts in the last year. And I think that, you know, if you, if you're not into reading books, which some people are just not into, I think it's increasingly, uh, less of a thing that people do, which is a shame. Um, but if you're not into reading books, then while you're commuting to work or when you're taking a walk with your dog, um, or just on your own, then I think listening to podcasts is, is a great, a great source of, of knowledge and inspiration. Good. Do you have any favorite book that for has changed something in your life or has been this aha moment for oh, you? Oh, changed my life. Um, yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, I mean, I was a big, uh, Roald Dahl fan. So, uh, the author of, uh, you know, Willy Wonka, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, James and Giant Peach. I just loved the like creativity. It really just like, I was quite young when I started reading and I really got into his books because it just like took me into like this incredible imaginative place. So I think those were the books that initially kind of started my love for, for reading as, as not necessarily an escape, but just, um, you know, as a way to just see this whole other world that's, that's, you know, get out of the four walls that surround you into something else without having to walk out of the room. Um, as for what changed my life, uh, one book that I remember in high school, my history teacher, um, recommended to me, he gave me his copy of Who Moved My Cheese, uh, which is a funny title by Dr. Spencer Johnson. Um, <laughs> and it really, I, I remember it really blowing my mind that it's a, it's a pretty simple short parable about change, adaptability and resilience, which I think is a really interesting topic. And it offered some really like invaluable perspectives. And it's a pretty quick read, so I would really recommend that for for anyone. It's very easy to get through. One very memorable question from the book is it poses the, the simple question: What would you do if you weren't afraid? Which I just remember I remember reading that and thinking like, Oh wow, that's such a powerful question to to ask yourself. Um, and so yeah, so that that book, you know, changed changed my life. is pretty dramatic, but I really remember reading it and being and and being wowed by all the different kind of elements and questions that it, that it posed um it's really about you know confronting and overcoming fear in the face of change and change is, is inevitable uh, we're all going to have to deal with it in some way so i th- i highly recommend it it's a great book it's called who moved my cheese Great, great. Thanks for sharing. So, uh, of course, I think I heard about it, but maybe I even read it. But yeah, I don't remember right now. But yeah, it's always good to have more books to read or, or listen. Yeah, it's a great one. It's it's very um, short. It's very easy to get through. Mm, good. 
Um, do you have any uh, specific related to personal finances books that you follow or that has been meaningful for you in your journey? Um, not so much. I mean, again, like, like I said, I follow a pretty simple approach. You know, I follow people on LinkedIn that share different different things on finance, and I I more so tend to read different articles. You know, the the Economist, the Business Insider, you know, different different magazines and, and newspapers on finance. And, you know, I have a decent amount of experience with, you know, corporate finance and accounting management from my past. So, yeah, I mean, I, so I don't really listen to too many podcasts or read too many books about it just because I feel like there's a lot of information that I consume on a daily basis from people I work with, my manager, my colleagues, um, and, you know, experience of, you know, great investors who have followed strategies before me, like Warren Buffett, like Charlie Munger, um, all those, all those people. Got it. That sounds good. Um, yeah. So you have been talking, maybe switching gears a bit now to more your your personal life and your are your changes before uh, closing today. So you have moved to to Spain. So and. You have talked about the book about who moved my cheese, so you are mm -hmm. kind of adaptable to that. You have been moving around in different cities, right? So, um, yeah, how is going for you that change to Spain? And yeah, what are the pros of Spain for you till now? Yeah, I mean, I really, I really love it here. You know, the, it was a very difficult decision to leave Prague. You know, I was living in Prague before for almost ten years, um, which is the longest I've ever lived anywhere by far. So I built such a great life there with a great community of, of friends. So it, it actually took me about two years from when I first had the idea of moving somewhere. It wasn't Spain specifically, but I just felt like it was time to, to move. Um, so it took me about two years to make the jump from when I initially thought about moving to when I actually did it. But it's been a really refreshing change, not just the, the sunny weather and, and the beach being five minutes away, which is great, but also just something different. Um, you know, I, I'm someone who was, who finds discomfort in comfort. Um, even when I was living in Prague, I would move apartments, uh, almost every two years just for the sake of, of something new, not because I hated my old apartment or that I was moving into a place that was particularly nicer. It was just different. Um, so I, I really like change because I think, I think my life, you know, I, I grew up in different countries and went to different schools. Um, so I think I just became accustomed to it. So, you know, a constant life gets a little uncomfortable for me, which is a, a bit of a paradox. So it was, it was time for a change and it's been really nice to, to embrace that. You know, Prague is not that far away. So I can still see my friends pretty often. I go to Prague uh, pretty often. I still do some work there with different companies. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's just been, it's just been nice to, yeah, for life to just be a little different, you know, moving apartments in Prague kind of stopped, uh, stopped doing it for me. It was still kind of the same thing. So I had to move to Spain. There's definitely worse places to, to be stuck in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds great, of course. And more especially now with winter, Spain is a nice decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. When I see Instagram stories of my friends in Prague currently, um, it definitely makes me feel like I've made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, you have mentioned also that 
you are really into uh, fitness and health and yeah, I'm kind of a geek into this, right? So can you mention yeah, how this journey started for you and maybe what are you currently doing that maybe can be helpful for someone apart from listening to your advice in personal finances maybe it could be useful as well to keep your health because with without health we don't have anything more or less right so. yeah yeah i mean i've been i've been active um my whole life but like one thing that's really kind of become embedded in my personal life philosophy is that i think that people should really actively seek discomfort i think you know we live in a world that's mm. you know becoming increasingly engineered uh you know, to remove discomfort out of our lives. Uh, so I think it's important to expose ourselves to suffering. And by suffering, I don't mean you need to like go punch yourself in the face. Um, it could be things as simple as, you know, cold exposure, you know, uh, cold baths, cold showers. This is something that's taken off in recent years. I think it's just about like regularly volunteering both our minds and our bodies uh, in getting uncomfortable because that allows us to become acquainted with that inner dialogue that, that we all have. You know, we talked, you know, change is inevitable in life. And when life inevitably throws challenges our way that can't be ignored or evaded, you're going to have to face them head on. And how you face these moments and the person you want to be within these trying times can be practiced through, it doesn't have to be fitness. But for me, you know, I, I participate in a lot of uh, races. So, you know, I've completed marathons. I do a lot of Spartan races or obstacle course races. Um, and the most common question I get whenever I finish one is why, you know, why would I choose to put myself through the suffering? Um, and the main reason is that it strengthens and prepares me for all the suffering that isn't my choice. Um, so I'm always kind of seeking the next hardest thing I've ever done. For me, it's been through fitness. Um, and it's just become embedded in my personal life philosophy. I think it just makes us stronger, not just physically, but also mentally. So I think I would strongly encourage anyone to you know, actively seek discomfort in, in whatever way is most appropriate to them. It doesn't have to be through fitness challenges or ice baths. It could be through, you know, whatever it is. But I, I think I think it's important to practice that because, again, we're going to be faced with some hard times. I think life is beautiful, but, you know, sometimes things happen and you have to you have to face them. So if you can practice, if you can practice that, then you know, it's, it's going back to that thing, you know, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail, you can prepare for facing challenges. And, and to me, that's been through kind of challenging myself through different fitness endeavors and challenges. Good. Yeah. It's, as you mentioned, it's always good to go out of the comfort zone, right? Or yeah. Challenge yourself is, it's something that we maybe forget in their everyday life with a cozy place and so yeah exactly life life is becoming too comfortable for everyone you know we everything you know you don't even have to ask someone out on a date you can just do that from like swiping your phone in the comfort of your own home um so you know life is just becoming really convenient which is why i think it's it's increasingly important to challenge ourselves in other ways mm-hmm. um as a last point for today, so do you have any remarks that maybe we didn't talk today that maybe you want to mention now? Like anything that maybe we forgot, but you believe is quite important for the people listening to us? Um, no, I mean, I think we touched on it, but I, I would say 
like really embrace the power of connection. I found it to be so valuable in my life. Um, so, you know, be open to it, seek it out. If you feel like there's someone, you know, we all have shared experiences. So if you feel like someone can help you as like a mentor role, whether it's, you know, a paid mentorship or just like a friend that, you know, has gone through something, then, you know, share with them, be open, uh, be truthful, be authentic. And, you know, connection is, is, is really, it's, it's what brings meaning to our lives. It's why we exist. So I think we have to, we have to embrace that more. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips about how to do that more frequently? Is it something that you do via LinkedIn right now or yeah? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've recently found LinkedIn, you know, in the last year I've really been, I've been on very active on LinkedIn. So I've, I've found it to be really cool. People have been reaching out. I've had conversations with people from like Vietnam that have reached out and wanted to discuss something about something that I do. And then we've become friends through that. So I think it's just, just being open to it, you know, go to, networking events, even if you don't have anything to promote, um, just go, go and meet people. Um, don't be afraid to strike a conversation with, with, you know, if, if you go to get your coffee at Starbucks, ask the barista how their day has been, um, and really care about it. Uh, you know, if you, if you get onto a bus, you know, tell the bus driver to have a great day, just, just, you know, we're all in this world together. So when I think we need to embrace that togetherness a little bit more, um, It just brings more value, more meaning, and more like joy to our life. So that's that's kind of that, that would be my advice in terms of connection. Okay, thanks for sharing those final remarks because yeah, it is in a positive tone as well <laughs> and a good way to finish for today. So yeah, how can people reach you out if they want to hear more from you or read your articles or yeah, or connect in general? Yeah, the, the best place to connect with me or reach out is uh, through LinkedIn. I'm very active on the platform um, every day. I publish my own work on there. But if I if I write articles or do work or um, hold seminars in different places, then I, I always post it on, on my LinkedIn as well. So I think that's that's the best way to for people to reach out to me. It's just my name, obviously, Amit Grinvold. I don't think there's a lot of people with the exact same name. Um, so I think it's pretty easy to find me there. But yeah, LinkedIn is the same way. And I'd be happy for anyone to reach out. I love connecting with people and having conversations. Okay. Thanks, Amit. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk today. And I hope you have enjoyed as well. And yeah, all the success with your Uh, all your advising skills and um, in finances and communication and and the TEDx of course and and the upcoming future. Th thanks for having this conversation. I look forward to staying connected. <laughs> so see you around. Thank you very much for joining us. I hope you have enjoyed the episode and got important insights to apply soon in your journey. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. See you in the next episode.